Hello, and welcome to the Homegrown Sanctuary Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle, with my wife, Nikki, and we're going to talk about tips for finding a home in the country, our personal experience, and we added a bonus at the end where if you don't have the money to buy a house in the country, the way we went from not being able to afford it, how to afford it, and all it takes is hard work, time, and a little bit of smarts. House hunting, time, money, and space. When you're looking at a house in general, you want to make sure that it has everything that you need to live there. Does it have the right amount of bedrooms, bathrooms? Are you going to be cramped? Nicole and I were actually looking at 80 acres with an awful house on it. The whole house was awful. It should have been torn down. There was mold in there. And whoever had built the house just added rooms on as they felt like they needed them. There was, they counted like bedrooms that had exterior doors on them. It had two garages. One was a real garage. And then the next was like a lean-to. The place was a mess. The property itself would have been a dream come true. It had open space. It had a ton of wooded area. And it had one or two ponds on it three three, it had three ponds. and they were all really nice size so it was a dream it was technically within our price range but the house just would have had to have been completely bare bones remodeled addition everything you know you might as well be building a new house at that point so we wanted to see if we could make it work and in the end we just had to go in a different direction we didn't want to spend all of our time building a house with three small children especially if we wanted to work on the land itself. Even though there were 80 acres and the property was beautiful, it did need some work. The three ponds needed to have work around the water to make them not overgrown. Tire tractors are filled with salt water. It had these different areas all throughout the property where these tractors could come in, refill their tires, and then go back in the field. And it had these two tanks on there for those. And Nicole and I wanted to get rid of those or at least change the way they looked. I mean, we had a lot of ideas for what we wanted to do with the property. The problem was we would have been spending, what do you think, five to 10 years on the house first before we could even start outside? Yeah, I think that would be reasonable if we had done all the work ourselves. But if you hire a contractor, that's going to be expensive. And like I stated before, you should basically be building your own house anyways by then. Yeah. We had to pass it up. But this, the house that we have now, it is comfortable. And I feel like... If it wasn't for the fact that this house was fairly move-in ready, we had to do some adjustments, but mostly cosmetic things, we wouldn't have been able to get started on the whole reason why we moved out in the country in the first place, which is getting started and doing the things outside, building the garden beds and clearing the spaces in the woods. It could have taken us years. And that was my big point when we moved out here. I said I don't want to work inside for five years. That was my premise. So we compromised on a little bit of land, but in the end, it, I think it's better this way. So when you're looking for a house, you really need to decide what you want to put into the inside, what you want to put into the outside, how much you're willing to spend. In our area, you can get a house in the country for as little as twenty dollars to $40,000. That'll either be dirt, a mobile home, 
or a rundown house. They stay to varying degrees of in need of help up until about $120,000, $150,000. After that, they become a decent home up till two hundred and fifty. Once you hit two hundred and fifty thousand, they become a very nice home with property. It's not even that you'll get way more property or the house will be way bigger. In our area, there aren't that many three hundred and fifty thousand dollar plus houses. They're just not. But two fifty to three fifty, you're looking at a beautiful home with gorgeous land. You won't have to do anything because they those places normally have an orchard. They normally have a place for crops. It's all set up. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with if you want to invest the time into fixing a place up yourself. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's what we did with our first house. Right. It's just, it, it depends on how long you can tolerate living like that. If the house is in really rough shape, I know for some people, they can't handle living like that for years. It just gets stressful to be around. So be mindful of who you are as a person because you want to be happy in the house you move into. You don't want to do an impulse buy, get really excited and have these big dreams. You move in and then you realize that it either needs way more work than you thought it did or your house poor because you bought such a nice place that you can't afford to do anything with it or you can't afford to upkeep it. You have to make sure that you can buy the tools you need to maintain it or to improve it and the equipment. And then even after you buy the equipment, you have to pay to maintain the equipment. Everything costs money. Everything costs time. And the more money you save, typically the more time you spend on it. And the more money you have, typically the less time you have to spend on something. Because you can hire it out. You can make somebody else spend the time doing it. Commuting and gas. If the gas prices fluctuate from $2 to $4 a gallon, your gas budget's going to double. This goes back to being house poor. You don't want to be, you don't want your budget too thin. Otherwise, that gas is really going to hurt you. And don't forget, all the stuff you have to maintain on the property is typically going to use gas or diesel as well. The time you spend driving is time that you're not on your property and you're not at work. My commute time went from 15 minutes to 30. So it doubles my commute time. So I went from half an hour a day to an hour. And with my job personally, I'm on call. So it's not just an hour. So when you buy a house in the country, you have to think about commute times. If you work from home, you have to worry about how good the internet signal is. It's an hour each time I have to go. So I've spent three to four hours of my Saturday driving. Something else to keep in mind. School districts. School district is another thing to take into consideration as well. For us, it was really important that we wanted to stay within our school district because we were really happy with it. A lot of places do school of choice, but not everywhere does. Even if you don't have kids now, maybe you'll decide you want to have them later. And it's good to know that you don't have to move to get into a good school district and consider how close you are to that school. Unfortunately, we found out after we brought our property that we could not get bus pickup out here, even in our school district. 
Another thing to consider when moving out into the country with your school district is bus pickup. When we moved to our house, we were told that there would be bus pickup at our house. It turned out not to be true. They used to pick up the kids on the neighbor's driveway. So they called the neighbor and they decided they didn't want the bus going there anymore. So I would call ahead and verify that the bus does go to your driveway prior to moving. What do you want from your land? So the first thing we're going to talk about is deciding what you would like to do with your new property. If you're planning on having a large garden, then you need to look for a space that has enough sunlight to accommodate that. However, if you're also looking for something with more recreation or you want a more natural landscape, you might want to lean towards something that has more woods or open fields. What your idea in the beginning is, it can change over time. You might want to expand your garden or shrink your garden, say it becomes too much or say it's not enough. You might want to do a garden and then you figure you need a garden shed. You might have kids later and then you want to have a play place for them. Climates, macro and micro. You're going to have to look at climate zones. You don't want to move into an area that's either too hot or too cold for what you want to deal with. A lot of my friends live down south and their growing season is very long. We live up north and our growing season is shorter and a big part of our yearly battle is firewood and heating the house with wood. So you really want to pick. Do you want a lower, longer growing season or do you like you know, cooler months, because those guys are hot. We're not, we, we get hot for what, three, four weeks out of the year here? It's not for very long. Another thing you should consider is microclimates. A microclimate is to your property specifically. So if you're in a valley, it's going to be colder in the winter because all the cold air settles. Or if you're on top of a mountain, you might have higher winds. If you have a bunch of evergreen trees surrounding you, you won't have as much wind as if you're by an open field. So that's the microclimate. And you have to look at the microclimate to see what will grow there. So is there a lot of shade? Like my parents' place, they have a marsh on about half their property. They live on a hill and they're completely surrounded by trees with the exception of a strip of the yard, that's their microclimate. Heavily shaded with two spots of sunlight. Ours is about as wide as a driveway and probably six garages long. That's the only sunlight they get besides their fenced-in backyard. A lot of sun in the back, a lot of sun in the front, shade in the woods with high winds because we have no evergreens. So that's our microclimate. So you have to consider what the microclimate is going to be before you move in because it'll really dictate what you can grow there. All of God's creatures. 
you want it to go away from your house. You want it to go away from your, where you're planting stuff. You don't want it to seep and create ponds. The soil is really important when you're looking at property as well. An easy way to tell how good the soil is without testing it is how well everything's growing. On that note, is everything overgrown? If it's gonna be those two extremes, that means you're gonna spend a lot of time in the beginning either keeping it up or making it to the way you want. So you have to figure out if you wanna spend the time doing it or not. Drainage is also really important. If it rains, you don't want it in your basement. Is there a lot of mosquitoes? Are there a lot of frogs? Do you like the sound of frogs? Because they talk every night. Do you like birds? Do you hate birds? How do you feel about bees? It can look really nice and you know, you keep getting bit by mosquitoes. It's not so nice being outside anymore. We were at a friend's house and they lived in a heavily wooded property. And because it was so wooded and you know, Michigan's wet, there were a lot of mosquitoes everywhere. They ended up getting an excavator and they took down a, a lot of the trees. There were hardly any mosquitoes the last time we went there. I don't think I got bit once. And we were just getting bit the entire time last time. Utilities. Utilities are going to be very important. You're going to have to find out what your internet speed is. In a lot of areas, it's garbage. It's absolute garbage. You're going to end up paying a lot of money and you're not really going to be able to use it. It's almost like throwing money away. How important is the internet to you? If you stream stuff, you can't with bad internet. So you're going to have to get satellite. How do you heat your home? Do you have a natural gas line going to the house? Is it propane? Is it wood? Is it oil heat? Is it a heat pump? If you're looking at a house that does a wood stove, sometimes they'll try to hide the fans. And the reason they do that is because they have to blow the hot air to circulate it through the house. It'll just stay stagnant around that stove. You have to consider the electricity. We have a utility pole that goes to our property and then it goes to a private pole. So when you look at your at the property, does it have a private pole? How is it tied to the utility? And if it's zoned agricultural, it's actually regulated differently. The last thing that I could think of is sewage. Is it public sewage? Is it a septic tank? If it's a septic tank, every four or five years, you're going to have to get it pumped out. Does it have the cap on top of it to where they can just unbolt it and put the hose down there? Or are they going to have to dig it up every four years? Consider where your septic tank and your well is when you're trying to plan out what you would like to do with your property. Try You have to make sure that it's accessible for them to come and pump out and whatnot if you, or if something ever goes wrong. Right. That's a thing that we really recognized after we saw the way our driveway was shaped around our property. There wasn't a good way to change the driveway because of where the septic tank and the well and propane tank are located. Zoning regulations, you and your neighbors. Another thing to be aware of is the zoning regulations and how the area is zoned. You could be zoned residential, agricultural, industrial, 
And those all have a lot of limits on what you can do to your property. And there's also regulations on the type of land that you own as well. For instance, if you had marshland or wetlands, you actually can't do anything on those lands, at least in our state. So you can't put leaves in there or build a structure on there. You're supposed to leave them alone. That way nature can just run its course. When you look at different zoning regulations, you have to keep in mind that this will give your neighbors permission to do things. The town I graduated high school from had a pig farm right outside of the town. And when I went to school there, it wasn't a big deal because it was a small pig farm. There wasn't a smell. Like as you were driving out of town, you could smell it, but it wasn't a big deal. He sold that property and the next guy expanded the pig farm operation and the whole town smelled like poop. The town had to fight the farmer and got him to downsize the farm again. A good ending to that story, but it doesn't mean it would have ended that way. Because we're zoned in agricultural area, the dairy farm up the road has actually piped all the cow manure into the surrounding fields. So in the spring, they just pump poop everywhere. And that's how they fertilize the field. For about three weeks, it smells like poop. It can get pretty strong. Yeah. But it's, you get kind of used to it, you could say. <laughs> yeah, you do get used <laughs> to the smell of poop. It just comes with the... It comes with it, you yeah. know. You, if you're doing the stuff anyway, you got your own bags of manure that you're hauling around. And I don't know, if you're composting and stuff like that, you get used to the smell of rotten decay. I know that's not what they put on the poster for part of agriculture, part of homesteading or farming, but it really is. There's a lot of bad smells with it. And it's pretty short-lived when they do it. It's not too bad. Right. Exactly right. It's not constant smell. No, you just like, you'll open the bag and compact manure smell will just leak out of the bag quick and then it's gone. Or if you have a bucket where you're composting, you just take the lid off and you know, you smell the decomposing food, you dump it in the compost, and away goes the smell. It's not a big deal. Mineral rights, easements, power lines, traffic, and snow plows. You also want to know who owns the mineral rights, if there are any, and of any easements. It would be great to know if somebody has the right to drive on your property prior to you owning it. Power lines. You want to make sure that the power lines are not in your way. We have a set of power lines that run about a third of the way through the yard, and they actually had to cut down an alleyway of trees, and now it's overgrown with brush. And we can't plant certain trees there now because we can't block the power lines and knock the power lines over. And if something happens with that line, the utility company is going to come on the property and fix it. So you guys want to take that into consideration too. Another thing to consider is how much traffic is on the road, whether or not it's a dirt road. If you live in a place that snows, the nicer the road is, the faster you'll get plowed. The more traffic you have, the faster it'll get plowed. If you want to live in the sticks where nobody goes, you will not get plowed. The sun will plow you. Here are some lessons that Nicole and I learned this year.
The Lay of the Land. We ended up picking a property at the end of 2019. We moved in December. Nikki, do you want to talk about how this was like the perfect spot and then it wasn't? Yeah, so there were several things that came up. First of all, we really liked the property because it was in the same school district that our kids already go to and we like it there. So we were really wanting to stick around here um, and it was just kind of hard to come by properties that had land, properties within our price range that suited our needs. And so we finally found this one and it seemed to have everything we wanted up front. Our property has got about two and a half to three acres. So it's not super large, but it's a decent size, you know, and way bigger than what we had coming from in town. And we really like the fact that it has one stall garage, so we could use that for an office. And it also had a large pole barn, and so we could use that to store equipment and everything. So those were a big plus for us. And then there's a lot of area where we get full sun, and there's also a lot of wooded areas. So it seemed to be the best of all worlds in the beginning. Right. And the house itself is square in the middle of the property. So we have one acre of woods on the west side, and then the south and the north side are open. And we don't really have much of an east side. There's a driveway and then maybe five, eight feet before the neighbor's property. And we're surrounded by, by farmland. So our closest neighbor is probably an acre away. Yeah. Home sweet home. We moved in in the winter. The guy we bought the house from was very nice and he showed us how to use the wood boiler, the propane heater, the heat sump. Utilities, basically. Right, because we actually have our own private pole as well. So it's it was very different because we lived in a Cape Cod house in town for seven years. Right, so just really standard equipment that you doesn't really take much learning to, like the wood boiler that we had an interesting experience with trying to learn at first. The gentleman who sold us the property was really nice, showed us how to set it up, how to load it, and do all of that. And we were really intrigued by the idea because the way a wood boiler works, if you're not familiar, the wood in a giant chamber and it heats up the water around it and that's what flows through to your furnace and heats your house. And the heat's a lot different. It's actually more of a wet heat so it doesn't have that dry heat like with propane. There's a, there's a thermometer on the outside and our thermometer uh, tells the, the temperature of the water not the temperature of the chamber. I didn't know that at first so <laughs> I spent I spent a whole day trying to get the the wood temperature up and we weren't anywhere close to the temperature we needed to run the heat in the in the house and the reason why is I would have the fire going and then it would kind of die just a cycle for what 8-12 hours and I finally got irritated about 10 o'clock at night and I threw a bunch of wood in there and then I overheated the water and there's a sight glass on the like right above the door and it has a peephole so a sight glass tells you the liquid level. So after I heated the water above boiling, it just shot out in front of the door. So now I had to get around the boiling water to take out some of these logs that were on fire. It was snowing outside. 
So I ended up shoveling these burning logs into a wheelbarrow and then I just dumped them in the driveway. And so my wife, you know, Nikki hears these boom, boom. And then she looks outside and there's fire in the driveway. And Kyle's out there and I try to call him on his phone and he's not answering beforehand. So I think he probably exploded in a fire somehow, but he's still here. <laughs> yeah. So she comes running out and she's like, Kyle, what's happening? And I'm like, I'm busy. And anyway, so that was a learning process. And it took, I'd say a couple of months for us to really learn the, the rhythm of the wood boiler to where we ended up feeding it twice a day, like the previous owner. And it was kind of funny because the previous owner, when he was explaining this to us, he was talking about how his basically preteen was adding wood to the fire and stuff. So no big deal, right? If a young kid can do it, we can figure it out. But we were wrong. I know. I lost uh, my beard, my eyelashes, my <laughs> eyebrows, my hair. I, I, I had burned off so much facial hair throughout the winter because um, most intelligent people don't put their face towards the heat. And that's just how I, you know, I leaned right into the fire and kept chucking stuff in there and singed my hairs over and over again. I don't know how he managed to do it. I have long hair and I never managed to uh, singe my hair. But I will tell you, if you ever have to deal with anything like a wood boiler or even just a wood burner of any sort, you know, welding gloves are the amazing. The Woods. spring breeze that came from the south and that's really what we've been dealing with well since since it got warm well the winter i mean in the winter we got a lot of south too because that's where we have the open space that's where the field is on the east side is where our pole barn and our forest is but we still get you know when we don't have leaves on the trees like kyle was saying we still do get the wind from there but um so that's something we didn't really take into account i mean i think we knew that it would be windier than what we were used to in town and plus we had trees surrounding us in town as well um but i don't think it was what we were expecting it is just bitter it was yeah it was a bitter bitterly cold wind and um another thing that we learned about the trees is because we have some trees that are very old and very tall and we have some other trees that are new growth and that's primarily what that acres it's it's new growth in trees and because of those mature trees it gave a lot of shade over the woods and so most of our trees are actually growing at right angles and so now we're looking at taking all the trees down and replanting um, with some fruit and nut trees so that's going to be starting next year in 2021 ending in 2041 <laughs> get out of here <laughs> another surprise that we learned is that there is a strong western wind for our property and because we're surrounded by fields and even though we have some trees we don't have any evergreens so there's no windbreak so it's just in the winter in the winter it's just a cold wind and then when spring came we actually had a nice cool soil There's a lot of clay soil as well in some, around the pole barn. Around the pole barn, there is... I see a lot of sand. Sand, clay. That's what I notice. Okay. Uh, that was something that we didn't really account for either. So we had uh, 
the previous owners had a fire pit off a slab where our pole barn was. And I figured, you know, the soil was kind of sandy and they had mulch on top. We spent hours removing all that mulch and moved it elsewhere. So it was kind of nice. But I figured, hey, it's already cleared. You know, there's no grass that we have to remove to put a garden in. So it seemed like the perfect spot. And um, it turns out the soil itself is just really sandy there. So that's another thing we really weren't expecting. And so we've been having to deal with what we're going to do there because it is a good spot to put a garden as far as it's a nice clear spot. It gets full sun. Um, I think we might end up moving some of our raised beds that we built this year to that spot just to try to, because uh, you can't really plant stuff in the ground very well. Uh, we planted some melons and zucchini and you could see that up the hill they were in much sadder condition than they were down the hill. And but I say when I say hill, it's a really gentle slope. I mean, it's not a big runoff or anything. It's just the soil there is no good. So it's good if you really are looking for a specific spot to garden. If you're looking at a property, you might want to just kind of poke around in the dirt for a minute and get a feel for it. The previous owner said they did not have a green thumb whatsoever. And they had talked about how they couldn't plant stuff in the mulch. And that's because underneath the mulch was... Just sand. Just straight sand. I don't know. I think... They... I don't know if they knew that even, to I, be honest. I'm not sure. It might have been from the people before them. But uh, yeah, it was just about six inches of mulch followed by about a foot of sand. Yeah. So poke around is what we're saying. You know, if you, if you <laughs> yeah, want... Yeah, if... if you're able to. Yeah. <laughs> Critters. raccoons and groundhogs mm, we have woodchucks i'm not sure oh, woodchucks. If, i'm not sure if woodchucks cost cause any harm though i've never looked into woodchucks and we have some moles in the front yard lots of moles yes and they uh they do ruin spots of the of the yard we haven't dealt with them yet um we kind of want to try to work with all the woodland creatures as best we're able right so we're not really anti moles or anti-raccoons or whatever as long as they're staying out of the trash and you know not ruining what we're building we have a lot of rabbits here too yeah and i mean with the moles from my understanding um i don't think that they are harmful to have around unless you're really concerned about the big dirt mounds they leave which are very inconvenient to say the least but i've also read that they can in a way be good because they help aerate the soil and they don't really get into your plants and stuff i mean i haven't noticed them in my garden they're always no. just in the regular lawn yeah and they're, and they're I could looking be, for I, grubs yeah i could be wrong and that's another thing i read too yeah that they can eat things that you don't want right so that's another reason why we haven't really tackled a problem with them because I can handle some dirt mounds. It doesn't bother me. Right. It can be unsightly, but for me, it doesn't matter. The Pole Barn. It used to be a pig barn. So when we were looking at it, there's actually grating in the middle of the floor. And in the back in the day, they used to just push the pig, the pole barn poo into the trench. And that's, that's where it would stay. And they had ended up concreting over it and stuff. Well, what, what we didn't notice was, is the floor is actually slanted towards the grating. So this does sound, I've never heard anybody mention a pole barn 
with an uneven floor. You know, not, I mean, other than the, the concrete breaking up, you know. But if you're looking at a barn, I'd check to make sure if it was level or not, especially if there was grading, because our whole thing is is at a at a slight angle. And when he says grading, he doesn't mean a nice little, like, two-inch row of some metal grading. He no. means, like... The barrier in between is concrete, and there's about a probably a two inch gap between some of these barriers, and it's probably what like uh, six feet long, probably. You Wouldn't mean you say wide? That, wide, yeah. Yeah, it's probably six foot wide, and it runs probably thirty five ish feet down yeah. the middle all of the, the way of the floor. The yeah, whole thing. So that's pretty inconvenient. You um, don't want to drop anything at all. No, <laughs> in there. no, it's so deep. I lost an entire shelf to one of our storage shelves. I, I set it down, it slid into the grating, and there it is forever now. There's holes, the water comes in, into that trench. So I've actually had to get a raccoon out of it. <laughs> really check out the infrastructure, really see what's where and why it was built the way it was built. Because if it was built with a specific purpose, like putting pig poop in a trench, it might not work for you. And you might, like, I don't know how expensive it's going to be to level that pole barn floor, but I'm going to go with not cheap. Yeah, and it's not even a gentle slope. It's pretty, it's pretty slopey. Pretty <laughs> it's steep. pretty slopey, yeah. is it? <laughs> it's pretty steep. The Cost of Country Living When we were moving out, I'm the numbers guy in the family. I look at all the numbers and I do the budget and everything else like that. I thought it would cost, what, an extra 150 to live out here a month? It was something ridiculous. Yeah, I thought it would cost us like another $150 to live out <laughs> and here. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it is not true. Um, we actually did write an article on our, our website, homegrownsanctuary.com, where I talked about moving out of the country, like getting remarried again. Because you don't have anything that you need when you first get married, you know, and it was the exact same thing. We had to buy a rototiller. And that's the other thing is you can, like, if you don't know, there are so many things you could buy that'll work and it ends up becoming a preference or what you predict that you'll need. Because, for instance, we looked at buying a zero turn mower, a lawn tractor, a tractor, an ATV, what else? I think that kind of covers it. Does it? And that that's just for getting rid of the, the snow, for plowing snow and cutting the grass. That wasn't even all of the other things that we were planning on doing here. And so we settled on an ATV with a tow-behind mower. And because I was spending 8 to 12 hours a weekend push mowing the lawn. And that was for the birds. So with the behind mower and the ATV I get it done in two to four hours including the push mowing yeah and so that was definitely worth it here's some stuff that you really won't know till you get into it that ATV can go like 70 miles an hour but the mower is only supposed to go three to five miles an hour <laughs> so so which end up having is a lot of power pulling something 
that doesn't want to go that fast. Does it have cruise control? No, no, there is no cruise control. So, you know, you got your thumb in one position for an hour, hour and a half. It, in a it's a very awkward position. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a little taxing. And we discovered the problem with the trees after we bought the ATV. So if I had discovered the how the trees were all slanted and I wanted to take them all down, I would have bought a tractor because a tractor's got more torque to pull the stumps out. So we made a $18,000 investment and it turns out like I might end up having to get a little tractor anyway. You should see my wife's face. She's very excited about that. We got a rototiller. That was fine. Hand tools. You'd always use more shovels and rakes and everything. What else did we get? We got a plow for the ATV. The cost of getting the soil and the wood for the raised beds and everything. Yeah. Oh, and when we moved in, we actually had a little greenhouse, a little hoop house prior to moving in. And when we moved in, I told Nikki that we need to secure it to a, a fence because of the wind. My wife did not listen to me. And then during a winter storm, I was out there trying to secure it to the fence. And it still ended up getting ruined. And he started blowing away. I did. I literally blew away. Yep. It ended up being a, like a giant sail. And it, and it mm -hmm. threw me from one end of the, of the yard to the other. In the spring, we bought two new hoop houses. And we weren't going to let it happen this time. No way. We were going to be, we were going to show mother nature who was boss. So <laughs> with the help of Amazon. Right. And so we got these two hoop houses. We got these augers, but we got, we got eight or 10 augers. It was enough for, gosh, I think like six on each greenhouse. That was 10 by 20. Yeah. And then we piled the sides with rocks. Yeah. And then they still blew away in the first windstorm we had. Yep, it tore. We zip tied it down with extra heavy zip ties, and it just tore those right off the metal augers. The augers are still in the ground, so it's really convenient when you're walking over there and you stub your toe. <laughs> so it actually blew the the uh, hoop houses from the south side to the east side and mangled them together to where they're now one hoop house. Yes, I have. I currently have the plastic and the metal. <clears throat> Over there, some of the metal, um, a lot of it broke, and I'm hoping that we can do something with it. Maybe just put, not necessarily a walk-in hoop house with it, but we'll see. We ended up buying some windows from a friend, and we're going to make a greenhouse because we're both over the hoop houses, I'm pretty sure. I think so. Something a little more sturdy and permanent would be a, a good decision. Realistic Expectations. The last thing we wanted to talk to you guys about was having realistic expectations. I do not have those. <laughs> I, think, I think everything can be done immediately and that it'll take no time at all. And Nikki's view is a little bit different. Yes, I think I'm a little more practical when it comes to that sort of thing. Um... Like, so we moved in here and we have so far a decent size, like pollinator garden with flowers in the middle between two garden beds where we have our squash and then we have our perennials with asparagus and strawberries. And then we have a couple raised beds in the area as well. 
And, oh, and then our corn and everything is a different plot. So, um, also the landscaping around the house because they had nothing here. So, then the outside, we've really done a lot of work. For me, I'm actually quite surprised by the amount of work we've gotten done. And Kyle, I don't know what he was thinking we would have done by now. But, mind you, he works a lot as well. And, you know, I've put a lot of these gardens in, so it's been kind of difficult with two people and the kids and we but have, we've gotten a lot of work done with given the circumstances that we have you guys all know it's 2020 so yeah. school was canceled and so we've had the kids home since march yeah yep i do work a lot nikki has been homeschooling the kids making the planning all this stuff harvesting it while i bounce back and forth from here to the power plant my different side hustles that I do. I learned to lower my expectations to, I would say a reasonable level, which makes Nikki move a little faster than she's comfortable with, <laughs> but she slows me down to a level that's not stressful. I think that's accurate. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm always pushing. Right. And I'm just used to being around the kids and everything. So I know that everything's a much slower pace because especially with homeschooling right now, you know, uh, with them doing the virtual learning, it's a lot of back and forth for especially the younger one getting the classes and stuff set up. So it's hard to really get started on anything when you have three little ones running around and they want snacks all the time. Right. Bonus time. How to work your way up from an apartment or renting or small home into a country home. When you're looking at buying a house in the country and you can't afford to buy it outright or you can't afford to, to get the right size mortgage for it, there's a couple ways to work your way up to it. One is get a better job. You could become more specialized become more valuable in the workforce. You could create multiple streams of income. There's a lot of ways to do that. Like you can flip different items. You could try your hand at selling stocks. You could start your own business, do sales writing. There's all sorts of things you could do in your spare time to earn extra money. And if you stack those skills, you'll earn more money over time. I did none of those things. What I did, was I bought a foreclosure. Now, when I bought the foreclosure, it was in 2012. So the first thing I did was I picked the right size town for me. So I picked a small city that has a house. I picked a nice city on the good side of town that had a foreclosure that is a wealthy city. We actually have a street called Mansion Street. We bought that Cape Cod back in 2012 and I replaced the fence. We had this giant maple tree in the backyard. I had the maple tree trimmed. I went room by room and remodeled the whole thing. We added a walk-in closet in the upstairs. We put two closets in on the other bedroom upstairs, we redid the whole carpet upstairs. The whole downstairs was wood. We actually hired a contractor and he refinished the floor, made it really pop. 
My wife did the garden outside, so there was a lot of flowers, and there was a vegetable garden on the side. I redid the fence, and we cash floated over seven years. And when we put the house in the market, the month we got done with it, we ended up selling the house approximately a month later, maybe two. And we bought the house at $60,000, and we sold it for $124,000. I took the equity from that house sale, and then I rolled it into the next property. The next house was $210,000. I put $50,000 towards the property, and I used the rest to pay off some debt. I like to be conservative with my purchases. I like to be conservative with my cash flow monthly. My advice to you is, is to buy less than you can afford because the bank will always let you borrow more money as long as they get paid. That's how foreclosures happen. Don't put yourself in a position that you don't want to be in or that you can't get out of.